Hello and welcome to Forever Young Adult, a podcast where I, Kira, and I, Aoife, talk to you about all the YA books that we've been reading. And by all the YA books we've been reading, I mean the one YA book that I read this month, except this month I actually read three YA books. That was a face journey, and I'm so glad you managed to like convey it in your words to the audience, because I was... I just started and then realized I was wrong and then realized I was wrong again. So I just had to keep going, you know, just keep going till it all worked. It's, if only editing existed. If only. But we're on a clean run, everybody. Clean run, one take. So yeah, hello, I'm Aoife. I didn't read a book this week. Um, Kira, what book did you read? I read the first three books. I read Skullduggery Pleasant, which in the UK does not have a second title. That's it. I read the second one, which is Flame of Fire, and I read the third one, which is The Faceless Ones. And that's a spoiler. The title of the third book is a spoiler. Does Skullduggery count as one of the Faceless Ones because he's just a skull? No. It's not a spoiler. That's not a spoiler. Um, um, so, yeah. Derek Landy is an Irish author. He is, and he is 44 years old. One and of our first Irish, not our first Irish author, but we haven't had many of them. No, he's our second on the pod, I think. Third. Third, yeah. Third on the pod. Um, and he has been churning out books at a rate of at least once a year since 2007. What a rainbow vowel. <laughs> um, so the first one was called Scepter of the Ancients in America, mm-hmm. but it just was called a very pleasant in, in the UK and Ireland because we don't need... All those fancy names, like when they changed uh, Philosopher's Stone to Sorcerer's Stone, people that might not know what philosophers are. I mean, philosopher sounds less uh, magical. Mm-hmm. It sounds more um, undergrad student with a really unfortunate haircut. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the Skullduggery series is set in Ireland um, because Derek Landy is from Ireland and he has lived in Dublin more or less his whole life and he has said in interviews that he has a hard time writing scenes that don't happen in an actual place because if he doesn't set them in a real world place he'll write himself little outs like oh she's trapped no she's not there's a door there um but he, he has to like force himself to set them in real places does that count just for places where there's like fight scenes or does that also count for like characters homes um well like characters live in the main character lives in haggard uh which is just outside dublin um and then but mostly mostly when he's giving like the location where something is happening it does tend to preempt a fight scene of some sort a lot of the action a lot of like the this is where it's definitely happening does present preempt a a fight scene of some sort mm-hmm. but like it's not a 100% across the board rule um the headquarters I'm gonna get into the book in a few minutes but like the headquarters for the magic world is in the wax museum of Dublin the new location or the old location Didn't the it old location okay because I forgot that it moved and as I was reading the book I kept imagining it located in the current location and then they were like and we got into the car and we drove to Temple Bar and I was like that's like a five second walk why are you driving there that's Um, still a five second walk I actually now that I say it I am pretty sure that it's not I'm like you shouldn't be driving from the wax museum 
of any location yeah. <laughs> to Temple Bar. Like, it is, by some definitions, in Temple Bar. So it get, I guess it depends where in Temple Bar. Yeah. Um, But I know I read these books when I was a kid, but I honestly remember next to nothing. So I never read these books. Yeah. To the horror of everyone I've ever told, I have never read these books. And to the delight of all of the kids in uh, the library at the moment, because they are extremely popular, even like the first book, the second book, they're all super popular with the kids right now. Um, Technically speaking, the first couple of books in the series would actually fall into like junior fiction, Mm -hmm. but as the series gets on, it is definitely 100% YA. I'm informed. I've only read the first three. Um, there's no delicate way to put this. Is it because they fuck? They just get increasingly more adult. In the same way that the Harry Potter books, you can give the first couple to, like, ten-year-olds, and then at a certain point you're like, okay, these are teenagers fighting a war, and maybe eleven-year-olds shouldn't be reading about it. Yeah, you have to be 15 or so for, like... The deaths, <laughs> anything yeah. after Prisoner of Azkaban, yeah. yeah. Like, um, like it's at a certain point for most of the books, only the bad guys. The, the I'm not going to give a lot of spoilers, and to be honest, I'm not all that interested in talking about the plots of these three books because the plot is more or less the same for each one. It's there is a mystery of some sort. Someone is up to no good. We must find out what the no good is. We've discovered the no good and we must now foil their plan that we have discovered and that generally involves an object of some sort so we get the object and then we fight. That fight goes bad. We continue on but now we know how bad they are because we fought them the one time and we've been outnumbered so we have to find someone else to fight with us and then we fight them again and we win but ah not without like losses and damages. That is the plot of all three books. I do not want to diminish the books because that is the plot of about 10,000 books. I was going to say, <laughs> that's a very standard, very standard plot, like, plot structure is that you've got one face off with the antagonists where you kind of learn who they are and then you're, you lose. So the next time when you win, it's better. Like, that's very standard. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. But, and like, it's mostly that they kind of, they do have to like repeat their actions a number of times throughout the other books because like, so I'm going to go a little bit how it starts. Yeah. We're talking about the book now. We've moved on from, from Derek. I am just going to say. Yeah. The one, like, I remember two things, literally just two things from when I read these books as a kid. And that is Skeleton called Skullduggery Pleasant and Teenage Girl called Valkyrie. Because as a kid, you're kind of like, that's the coolest name. But like as an adult, I'm like, yeah, that's uh, that's what happens when you let a twelve year old choose their name, huh? Some of the names are ridiculous though, because everyone does get to choose their own name. Um, so our main character is Stephanie Edgley, and she is a normal person, teenage girl. Well, she's twelve in the first book. Each book, um, she's a year older. Mm-hmm. There's roughly about. 10 to 11 months between each book that mm-hmm. I read. Um, so in the first book, Stephanie is your average, normal teenage girl, except she's not like other girls. Oh, God. And she's just so bored by all the other girls that she knows. And she just has to, like, she just can't wait to be an adult so she can do things. And she's 12 years old. And she's like, what have I done with my life? And I'm like, 
you're 12, Stephanie. You need to chill. You you please. The only people who achieve things before the age of 12 are like child geniuses and John Green has a whole YA book about how that's not a great way to go about your life achievement. This is this is like one of the first descriptions of Stephanie which gives you the idea that she's not like other girls. Does she have two different coloured eyes? No. Her first year of secondary school had just come to a close and she was looking forward to summer break. Stephanie didn't like school. She found it difficult to get along with her classmates. Not because they weren't nice people, but simply because she had nothing in common with them. She didn't like her teachers. She didn't like the way they demanded respect they hadn't earned. Stephanie had no problem doing what she was told, just as long as she was given a reason why she should. And I'm like, Stephanie, you're 12. That also means you do have a problem doing what you're told, (laughs) actually. Yeah. Very me when I was 12, I have to say. Like, very shithead 12-year-old, I say, as a former shithead 12-year-old. She also describes her cousins as this. Um, So this is her twin cousins. Carol and Crystal were twins, 15 years old, and as sour and vindictive as their parents. Whereas Stephanie was dark-haired, tall, slim and strong, they were bottle blonde, stumpy, and dressed in clothes that made them bulge in all the wrong places. Apart from their brown eyes, no one would guess the twins were related to her. She liked that. It was the only thing about them she liked. She's also, like, very good at giving a a hard drag. Like, that is internalized misogyny, step one. Um, Girl hate. Um, And just, that's a stereotype. Oh, like, these are her evil stepsisters. Even though they're her cousins. That's the characters you just described. Um, so Stephanie starts out, starts out the series as just like, you're regular, not like those other girls, kid, right? Um, and the books, the book opens with the death of her uncle, who is a best-selling, world-famous author. Is he the twins' father, then? No. Okay. The, there is three brothers. Okay. There is Stephanie's father, who is a godsend. We love him. Stephanie's parents are a blessing. Okay. There will not be enough time in this recording for me to get into how much of a blessing they are, but they are both pure blessings. Okay. Um, then there's her uncle who died, and then there's the twins' parents, and they, those, they're related via, via each other. The three brothers. The three brothers. Um, so we start the book with Stephanie's uncle's death, and he's a best-selling author, and he has written, all of his books are about, like, semi-supernatural things and things just, like, in our world, but just outside the realm of possibility. So kind of Dresden Filesy, sort of magical realism, dark noir. Yes, okay. a lot of dark noir and, and things of that nature. And one of the people that Stephanie meets at the funeral and then later at the will reading is Skullduggery, mm-hmm. and Skullduggery, we soon learn, is actually a living skeleton. He is not a human person. How does he attend a social function? Um, he wears a disguise, which is... Big fake nose? No. He has, um, he basically just hides his face a lot via a scarf and a hat with a wig on it. And he wears like a large trench coat so nobody knows and gloves so that nobody knows that he's all skeletonish. Mm-hmm. And he also just like doesn't hang out with people who don't know the situation a lot. Does he live in Dublin? He does live in Dublin. How 
So I'm gonna get into this. Okay. But first, I want to tell you a bit more about Skullduggery. I just does he eat? I'm like, okay. Does he have to go to the supermarket? If he doesn't go to the supermarket, does he have to like get the Tesco delivery? Does he have to talk to the dude who arrives with the delivery? He what? doesn't eat. Okay, that helps. He doesn't eat. Um, he does have a house. His house is comprised predominantly of living rooms because he also doesn't sleep. So he doesn't have a kitchen. He just has a bath. There is like a kitchen room. But it's but just a living room. All the other rooms in the house are like basically just living rooms. Yeah. Because, um, so Stephanie, for reasons I will soon explain, later takes on the name Valkyrie Kane. And so I'm going to call her possibly both throughout this. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about the same person. Okay. <laughs> Um, Valkyrie goes to his house at one point and he's like, do you need some food? And she's like, do you have any food? And he replies with something like, I think there's some pizza from the last time you were over. And she's like, Skullduggery, that was three weeks ago. And he's like, oh, do you think it'll have gone bad? And she's like, I think it will have walked away. (laughs) (laughs) Derek Landy's funny. (laughs) They are such funny books. Really funny. Okay, very personal tangent. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm a person who writes um, and it's not going great this week, and so I'm filled with personal rage that another person is capable of writing funny things. Um, good job, Derek. Um, um, so Skullduggery does not need to eat, he does not need to sleep, he does do, like, this deep meditation thing every mm-hmm. so often, which he quite likes, um, but he doesn't have, he is held together by magic, and I'm not, we're not gonna get into the logistics of it, he's held together by magic. Okay, okay, and um, I'm going to piece together slightly the fact that he was at this will reading and is held together by magic on the fact that Stephanie slash Valkyrie's uncle wrote books with magic in them. They were- Was her uncle magic? Her uncle was not part of the magical world. Okay. So we discover that Valkyrie is one in the line of we discover that Valkyrie and her family on her father's side are descendants from the last ancients mm-hmm. who are not gods but were the most powerful magic beings before they were killed okay but they're not gods in the same way that like the two hadidan in irish mythology weren't gods like they do play the role that in other yeah, folklore, they gods play would the role play. of gods, and they actually themselves, the ancients, killed the gods that came before them, That'll... who were called the faceless ones. And may and when the first book begins, it is believed that the faceless ones are a mythology that isn't real. But you also thought that about skeletons, which we were self animated. But they the. Even within the magical community, they're believed to not be real. But by book three, we have been introduced to the faceless ones and they are now the big evil that we have to defeat. That's some, like, Luna Lovegood shit. It's like, you're in Hogwarts. You can believe in a Grindelow. No, Grindelows <laughs> are real in the book. You know, the radishes that help us for the future or whatever it is she had. <laughs> I'm real sad that in this moment I can't think of the answer. <laughs> I'm sorry. But also, I'm like, we've had so many Harry Potter segues. <laughs> it's it's my, like, introduction point for this kind of magical fantasy. Waxbirds. Waxbirds? Those are a thing that, um, waxbirds that, that Linda Lovegood believes in. Okay, and no one else does. And no one else does. Cool. So there are our main players. Oh, Skullduggery is also 400 years old. That's not that old considering. 
considering. Um, and he initially died during the first war where um, a group of religious fanatics tried to bring back the faceless ones who are their gods. He died during that war. And now we are 400 years later. And fun fact, his head is not his, his original head. The skull on his shoulders, not his original skull because he lost his first skull in a poker game. He could have taken that opportunity to use like something that is easier to pass for a human head. Like, I was just thinking how the, like, the the big fight scene or the big um, headquarters is the wax museum. Mm-hmm. He could get some prosthetics. At least it could look from a distance like he had a nose, you know? He could, but he doesn't. No, nope. his style. His style. Um, on the wax museum, I'm just, like, jumping around now, but the wax museum fills in it is one of, like, the entry points to the Wax Museum in book two because because of an uh, so, some of the fighting in book one occurs in the Wax Museum, so they have to move things around. Okay. Um, and he is now, like, in charge of, of, of calling the person who lets you in. He's, like, the receptionist. A semi-animate version wax figurine of Phil Lennett. Is it at all sentient? Semi. Phil? <laughs> And Valkyrie is just like, my dad loves him. That's, yeah. I don't think he's aware that he has Phil in it. Okay. It's okay. amazing, though. Again, this is very Harry Potter. It's it's just very Irish as well. I'm, I'm glad we have this Irish, not Harry Potter. Um. So, yes, yeah, so we've got Skullduggery. We've got Stephanie. The reason why Stephanie has to take a new name is because within this world, you have three names. You have the name you were given... You have the name that you take, and then you have your true name. Mm-hmm. And so if you are a person who does magic, knowing someone's given name, if they haven't taken a name, um, gives you power over mm-hmm. them. But then taking a name um, kind of like seals your name, and then you, you can't be used in that way. Okay. Um, so all trans people are safe from magic. That is cool. I was going to ask, can you only take the one name? Because in my experience with friends who have taken a new name, there's usually a few goes. Um, I don't know if you can change your name. I assume that you can, though Skullduggery does, like, warn Stephanie that when she is choosing a new name, she should choose one that will last. Okay. Um, because you don't want to take a name that suits you and who you are as a person now, but won't necessarily suit who you are in, like, 50 years. Or 400. Or 400. Um, and that time frame is important because doing magic extends your lifespan. Oh, man. How can I get in on this? Um, I can't. It's fictional. You can't because it's fictional, but also because it is something that you are innately born with. Now, people who are born with magic don't necessarily find out that they can do it. Is it like all that stuff about like a mother lifting a car off her baby child and she didn't know she had that potential? Partly. partly like in a crisis, you'll find out. In a crisis, you'll find out. Kind of. I'm not sure how other people find out. Stephanie finds out because like she gets involved with skullduggery. Um, she tries. She tries, basically. And also there's this thing where a family legend that they are descended from the last ancients, which her dad doesn't believe. And Does that term mean anything to people who aren't in the magical community? No. How do they know? It's that... Th- it's 
that her grandfather used to tell her uncles and her father loads of stories about yeah. like how their family or families like family is descended from the last of the ancients and how there's magic in the world yeah. and loads of folklore and folk stories and he kind of believed it and Gordon believed it who was her uncle that died but the her dad was kind of into it and then he left it behind when mm-hmm. like he got married and had kids of his own Stephanie is an only child and then her other uncle like never was into it mm-hmm. and was always like real straight laced and didn't even like the books that Gordon wrote because he was like mm, you're tapping into that folklore that dad used to always talk about and that stuff isn't real and all this kind of thing so his arguments are false yeah. so now he loves them <laughs> but he does he still doesn't know that they're real okay real. um in the three books does Stephanie's family ever find out um no and part of the reason why they don't find out is because of this cool spell that skullduggery does on stephanie's mirror which releases her reflection from the mirror Mm -hmm. and this allows stephanie to lead two lives because her reflection goes off and does all the boring everyday things that she has to do whilst Valkyrie runs around with Skullduggery, learning magic, solving mysteries, being a magical detective, and having life-threatening adventures. Oh, wonderful. Great for a growing girl. Mm-hmm. Um, does her reflection, when it's out of the mirror, have its own reflection in mirrors? I don't know. Does she have a reflection when her reflections are doing things? I don't know. I think that should have been discussed. <laughs> I will, I'll write Derek Landy a letter and I'll ask him. Because um, that would give you a way. Yeah, the reflection is cool though, because the reflection like lives part of your life and then when you are ready to resume your life, the reflection like goes back into the mirror and then you touch the mirror and then you get all the memories of everything the reflection did. So the reflection has like some of your personality in it as well. It, it has, can react like you. Yeah, it has some of your personality it's kind of you on a bad day okay but she's also a teenager so they're just like oh she's just being moody yeah at one point during the second book valkyrie talks to her mom about the fact that like she's been avoiding her parents because she's been doing cool adventure stuff and she has to go to this family reunion where she is being used as bait for vampires i'll get into it um and she's just like oh mom i just like i feel like we haven't like connected in a while and her mom is just like oh yeah sometimes when we're watching tv it feels like you're not really there um but then other times you're like really there like right now i can Mm -hmm. see that you're there and but i understand you're just being a moody teenager Mm -hmm. and it's okay and when you're up in your room doing homework at least we know that you're not out in the streets getting into trouble doing drugs or drinking and and valkyrie is just like (gasps) because she feels a lot of pressure and stress about the fact that she is lying to her parents all the time, but also doesn't want to tell them the truth because they would probably make her stop and also knowing the truth could endanger them in some way. She should feel guilt about that, but on the topic of people who should feel guilt, what about the adults who aren't stopping the 12-year-old from running around and being bait for vampires? So, so... Skullduggery. I have so many problems with him as a responsible adult. Okay. He is so bad 
at doing that. Like, he's he, already dead. He enables Valkyrie at every single turn. Like, he's the person bringing her out to investigate initially. Initially, they go investigating her Uncle Gordon's death because they believe it to be a murder. They are correct. Um, And then later, he just, like, keeps bringing her out to do detective stuff and all those things. And he's teaching her magic. And at every single point along the way, every time they meet someone new within this world, they're like, maybe she should be at home. And Skullduggery's like, she doesn't want to be at home, though. She wants to be here. And Stephanie's like, I want to be here. And they're like, okay, then, I guess. Oh, God. Um, Like, nobody forces her to stop. But many people are like, maybe you shouldn't be here. Yeah. We think that you should be at home. Why are you doing this? Maybe you should look at your choices. Maybe you should go home. Like, we will keep you as safe as possible while you're doing this, but you keep getting hurt and injured. And you're a child. And you're a child. And people shout at Skullduggery about us as well. They're like, why are you bringing this kid everywhere with you? Leave this kid at home. Stop bringing her. And he's like, I keep telling her to stay in the car. She keeps leaving the car. It's yeah, not my like, fault. I'm like, don't bring her to the car. Yeah, leave her in the house. Oh my God. Um, um, how does Valkyrie respond when people are like, child, go home? She does not like being called child. Mm-hmm. Um, and she mostly just backs herself and is like, no, I'm making the right choices. I don't want to... I want to be doing something. I don't want to be just doing nothing with my life. And I'm like, you're a tiny child. You have so much time to do things with your life. And a lot of them are like, maybe you should go home, go to school, live in a, a normal life. And when you're 18, when you're 20, you can come back and we'll teach you everything then. You, yeah. like, we're not saying that you can't be part of this world ever. We're just saying that maybe you should take some more time maybe you should before get- you make that commitment. Maybe you should get your junior cert first. Yeah, because also she goes to school so rarely because she sends the reflection like nearly every day Yeah. to the point where, so reflections are useful, but you should be able, if you are a person who uses magic, generally speaking, you cannot be tricked by a reflection. Mm -hmm. But at one point they managed to trick another sorcerer who has, to be fair, been asleep for about a hundred years. Mm-hmm. He's like, I want to kill Valkyrie. Yeah. In order to give you the information that you need, I want to kill Valkyrie because she has ancient blood in her and she cannot be allowed to live. And they like summon the reflection and swap her. Yeah. And then he kills the reflection. Yeah. And they sneak away and it's all good. They are only able to do that because Valkyrie uses the reflection to such an irresponsible degree. That it has its that own. it 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 has nearly its own solidness that it shouldn't have. Okay, and are there negative consequences for her? Um, for that, I have not gotten to them, but they are hinted at. So after the reflection gets killed, there starts to be like little gaps in Valkyrie's memories that come via the reflection. Yeah. Like, the reflection is purposely not sharing all the information. Ah. But that hasn't that doesn't come to a head, a head as far as I am yet, I assume. It's the, the first series... The Skullduggery books are kind of written in arcs of three books, um, but there is, like, even then an overall mm-hmm. arc between, like, the first ten books. Mm-hmm. The first ten books is, like, a series in itself, and then there's a further three books, which are, like, 
season two. Yeah, one of my housemates actually was a big fan of the the Skullduggery Peasant books um, as a teenager and started reading the second series and was like, hey, Aoife, you, you read some of these. And I was like, yes, I remember like three facts about them. And she was like, yeah, they deal very seriously with the implications of being a teenage protagonist. Yeah. Like... I believe in the second series, Valkyrie is like in her twenties or thirties, yeah. and she's like, "That was fucked up." Yeah, it is real messed up. Um, and she has a lot of like you can see the trauma of it affecting her even in the first three books. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the in the third book, they have to fight a big bad, and it looks like if they lose, it will be the end of the world. And Valkyrie is like trying to come to terms with the fact that as her parents go off for a weekend away in Paris, she's going to be saying goodbye to them for what, in theory, could could be be the very final time because if they fail in their mission, like the whole world ends. But she also is like, I've said goodbye to them for what feels like could be the final time so many times and it never gets easier. And I'm like, it shouldn't. Yeah. You should stop having to do that. You should not have to do that as a child. That's ridiculous. Um, yeah. That's kind of our two main protagonists. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and the effects of uh, trauma on teenage teenage children. Um, I want to tell you how the magic works. Okay. So you're born with the potential, but don't necessarily actualize it. Stephanie actualizes it and becomes Valkyrie kind of because she's in this world and she's like might as well try yeah so there are two different types of magic streams okay so you can either be elemental or adapt okay okay now skullduggery skullduggery and Stephanie are both elemental so, so Valkyrie and Skullduggery both use elemental magic, which basically means that they manipulate the elements around them. Mm-hmm. So fire, air, water, and earth. Oh, I thought you were going to mean like real elements. I was like, ooh, polonium bending. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's no. not that cool. <laughs> I don't know if it is cool to be like bending zinc. So... That's kind of cool. And then because they're, they focus on like four different things, mm-hmm. they tend to be less powerful mm-hmm. because they're kind of like we're all rounders mm-hmm. in a way. We've got a little bit of everything. Then adapts who I don't fully know how it works because neither of our protagonists are adapts. So we don't get like a lot into it. Are there other characters in this magical community though who are adapts? Yes. Cool. So one of the adapts is um, Tanith Lowe, and she's super, super cool. She's from England, and she works for... I haven't got into the politics of this all. There's a lot of politics in these books. Okay. Um, she works for, like, the magical version of the UK government. Okay. And is kind of a freelancer in this... And Skullduggery is a freelancer for the Irish one. My next question was going to be if Ireland has a magical government, because that seems like something we'd fuck up real bad. Okay, so we do. Yeah. Um, it's called a sanctuary. Yeah. And so every country has a sanctuary, and you have uh, three people who are the... So you have three people that make up the Council of Elders, and one of those three people is the Grand Mage. And they're like, 
the most, not necessarily the most powerful, but definitely most, they are very powerful and the most respected of the council members and of the magic community in their country, generally are they, speaking. Are they elected? Yes. Okay. I wonder how I, that ballot. The, the, it doesn't really go into how the voting works in the, I get the impression that some people's voices are more important than others, and it's not necessarily a one-for-one vote. Mm-hmm. Um, they are technically elected, yes. Is uh, Ireland's Grand Mage, I don't know, for a random example, maybe a 400-year-old skeleton who lost his skull in a poker match? He is not. Because, okay. um Skullduggery doesn't believe in rules enough to be a government official. <laughs> Fair enough. We've got that in common. <laughs> the The Irish sanctuary is like held in a higher regard than the other sanctuaries in other parts of the parts of the world, predominantly because ma- magic is believed to have come from Ireland. Of course, of course. Um. So in the first book, there's some traitorous stuff that happens, which results in uh, members of the council all being killed. Oh yikes! All of them? Yes. So two of them are betrayed, and then the third guy is the betrayer, and then he is killed by the bad guy he was working for. Yeah, that's what happens when you <laughs> get a job in politics. Um, and then the person who replaces them, they are trying to get a full council together, but they haven't yet. And the person who is acting as Grand Mage in that time period is like a true politician. Okay. A true politician and really does not like our boy Skullduggery, does not like Valkyrie, and he fires them. Yeah, because she's 12. Yeah, well, she's 13 at this stage. Oh, that's fine then. (laughs) Yeah. You should have told me that makes a world of difference. My opinion on this situation has completely reversed. Um, so he's like a pure positive and he fires them mm-hmm. um, and then they have to like do a load of stuff on the schly because they've been fired and there's this whole thing where they're trying to like they, they, they decide they need to break in somewhere before the bad guys break in so they can take the thing the bad guys need so the bad guys can't get it they break in more or less at the same time as the bad guys so then they have to fight and it's just they have to fight but then they get blamed for the fact that the the object goes missing and they're like you're traitors to the cause and they're like no why won't you listen to us we're the good guys it's a whole thing a lot of fun the only thing i've ever done wrong is lose my skull in a (laughs) poker match and Nabel child trauma. Back to Tanith Lowe. Okay, yeah. Sorry. Tanith is a freelancer for the British She's government. a freelancer for the British sanctuary. And she also does a bit of work in Ireland because loads of stuff is going down over there. So she keeps being called in to help. And she is an expert swordswoman who appears to be 22, but is actually in her mid-80s because magic slows down the aging process. She sounds real cool. She is super cool. And her and Valkyrie have a real nice relationship where they're like, it's kind of sisterly. Mm-hmm. And um, Tanith is like teaching Valkyrie how to fight and how to defend herself so that when she gets into scrapes, she can get out of them. Mm-hmm. And she keeps telling her to hit with her elbows so she doesn't break her wrists mm-hmm. by punching people. And this is important because at one point... Valkyrie breaks her wrist trying to punch someone. And she's After like, she got these warnings? Yeah, and she's like, Tanith always tells me to use my elbows. I should listen more. And I'm like, please go home and do your homework. <laughs> <laughs> like, there are other things you should listen to, like 
Maybe your teachers when they talk to you. Um, and Tanith is also able to um, wall walk, which basically means that she doesn't obey the laws of gravity and can walk upside down on walls and stuff really fast and things. And she's also an expert lock picker and she uses her magic to do that. It's real cool. And then other adapts, we have Sangreen. Billy Ray Sangreen is a Texan. Yeah, that sounds Texan. He's a Texan hitman for hire. Sounds like something an Irish person would employ a Texan as in their <laughs> novel where they can make them up. Um, and his, he uses adapt powers and he uses them for tunneling, which um, means that he can like tunnel through any earth material, including walls, um, and digs in under places and escapes and does something. And he, um, under the employ of a big bad, he frees another big bad yeah. from prison, and that sets off a whole chain of reactions. But he's just also like very funny. Like, like he shouldn't be funny, but he kind of is. Is he like a bad guy, but like in an affable uncle way? He's like, oh, I've turned up again. Every time he turns up, I'm like, oh, Sangreen, what are you doing? Just, just go away. You're. He's kind of like, it's like he is a bad guy who is definitely a bad guy. He's a hitman for hire, but also he's operating like five levels above where he should be. Yeah. And you're just like, dude, you're way in over your head. Just go home. And he's like, look at me tunneling through walls. As a hitman, does he tunnel through people as well to kill them? No, he kills them with his knife. Well, that's much more practical, I guess. And his knife is magic so that the the cuts it gives you don't heal properly so that you um, are always left with a scar and he has a massive grudge against um, Valkyrie because she cut him with his own knife and now he has a scar on his face real pissed about it yeah that would really piss me off if a 12 year old <laughs> did that to me um I'm trying to think who else is important. Sangreen ends up fighting um, Tanith a lot because she is a swordswoman. Mm. And she's like, the first time that they meet, Sangreen is threatening Valkyrie down an alleyway with his knife. And Valkyrie is trying to figure out how she's going to get out of this situation. And then Tanith Mm. Lowe arrives and is like, hey, I'm going to fight you. And he's just like, okay, let's fight. And then she takes out her sword and he's like, hey, this isn't fair. You've got a giant sword and I just have like this tiny switch blade and she's like two minutes ago you were fighting a defenseless child and he's like hmm on reflection i can see how that might not be fair but uh (laughs) i don't see how that's any of your business essentially yes it's wild and then you have china sorrows that's a hell of a name i know and you have to remember that these people all pick their own names they all sound like nail varnish colors (laughs) Sanguine is obviously like a dark red. Um, Tanith Low, I'd say like a very dark oh, navy. Purple. Yeah, purple. Yeah. Okay. And like China Sorrows, I am seeing actually also kind of a blue, more of a delicate blue. Oh, I was going to say it would be like pearl off white. That green. also. Uh, yeah, yeah, that would also work. We're both thinking of China plates. So I'm thinking <laughs> of the. Porcelain. Yeah, I'm thinking of the blue part. You're thinking of the the base amazing um she is in a world in which people are generally good or bad Mm -hmm. she is like a neutral out for herself Mm -hmm. um and she doesn't do any action that would make leave her worse off in the long term and she also has the library she's she is is a library she is a collector of rare books which she is able to get with remarkable ease partly because 
she is very manipulative mm-hmm. and everyone who meets her falls a little bit in love with her um and it seems to be something that she can like it's a vibe she gives and she mm-hmm. can like raise the level or lower it mm-hmm. and skullduggery um makes her like lower it when when stephanie first arrives and is like oh my god the most beautiful woman i've ever seen i would do anything for her yeah and skullduggery is like knock that off china i see what you're doing this is my 12 year old my kid that i'm leading astray you are not gonna make her go home and keep her safe in your library nah and like later we witness her get stephanie and skullduggery arriving at the library so they can ask her for to see if they can go through her books mm-hmm. to investigate something and as they're arriving this other man is arriving with this super rare book that's like pr- absolutely priceless and he's mm-hmm. just like but i'm not gonna fall for her tricks i'm gonna get money out of her there's no way i she is paying me for this book and then as she talks to him he's just like and she keeps bringing it back up she's like oh how much do i owe you for this book and he's like no 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 i couldn't take money from you china i just no it's a gift for you it's a present because it's just i just so dearly want to give you this present of this book yeah that's manipulation okay bye now (laughs) she's like oh yeah so money 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 and he's like no and she's like okay goodbye yeah it's beautiful um and her powers but the way she uses magic is mostly through symbols um and that's like a whole thing ruin magic is like a whole thing which i think is supposed to fall into adept but also seems to be something that you can use without being adept okay because like the reflection is kind of symbol magic because they put like a ruin on the mirror and then they say some words Goldugger, can do that even though that's not his area area um yeah i mean it wouldn't really fall under any of the elements yeah but um but it also seems to be like china is like proper specialized in it and her whole body is covered in runes and she just taps them to do different things and like it attacks people and stuff what if she what if she's like has an itch um i think there has to be intent behind it okay because that would be really funny if she like rolled over in her sleep to like scratch her arm and like fireball we also have Fletcher Wren, who is about 17, 16, 17, he um, has the power of teleportation. And he would be kind of like a rusty orangey red colour as a nail varnish. He's from London um, and he has run away from London because his mom died. And the trauma of his mom's death is what sparked his first use of his teleportation power. Um, And teleportation is a power that can't be taught it is ingrained okay um does he have any other magic no that's his only magic but also he is not trained in his magic he's like real new and there's this thing where some baddies are killing all the teleporters for their plan okay and why um it's because they need a teleporter to open up a portal but if they get any of the experienced teleporters then they won't open it because they'll be like, no, that's a really bad idea. We're not bringing the old gods back. Yeah. And also, they won't be able to control them well enough. Yeah. Whereas, if they kill all the teleporters, except this one teleporter, doesn't really know what he's doing, they'll be able to control him. And also, there won't be anyone... If there's another teleporter around, they're like, that teleporter might like close the portal. Yeah. Whereas, if there's just the one, he has to do what we say. I think if you 
there's other ways to go about that plan. <laughs> there are much more resource efficient ways. You could, for example, keep it on the down low. Yeah. And yeah. just get a real dumb teleporter to help you. They're not going to detect it in the force. Yeah, teleporters are also kind of rare. Okay. Because it is... It, the other types of magic, if you have magic, you're kind of able to choose what one you specialize in. Yeah. Um. Whereas it appears that teleportation is, like, innate in you. And there's other ways of, like, getting a similar effect. Yeah. But pure teleportation is a power in itself. Does orange nail varnish like commute from London then, or like he like is there a limit to this? Yeah. So the newer you are, the less you have control over your powers. So he's only able to teleport like a couple of miles, or even at one point he's really scared, so he's only able to teleport from like this room to the next room, mm-hmm. um, and he's not able to get any further away. He is staying in a hotel room, which he has teleported himself into a hotel room, so he is staying there illegally. And then these people come to capture him, mm-hmm. and he teleports himself away, and they're like, oh, we've lost uh, Valkyrie and Skullduggery are there to, like, get him so they can, like, bring him to safety. And while they're doing that, the bad guys arrive. This happens a lot. Okay. Um, where they will arrive somewhere, and then at more or less the same time, the bad guys will arrive, and it's like, ooh. Traffic, am I right? Traffic, am I right? Oh, you wait 20 minutes for a bus and then five arrive at once. What if they bump into each other on the bus on the way there? <laughs> that would be way more awkward. Um, But yeah, Fletcher transports away and uh, Valkyrie and Skullduggery are like, oh, how are we going to find him now? We're going to have to like track him again. And then he like comes out of the bathroom. And he's like, okay, I'll go away with you. It seems like people want to kill me. Oh. <laughs> he's so sweet, but also like incredibly cocky. Yeah, 17 year old with superpowers. Yeah, he's a 17 year old with superpowers. He's like, I'm the best ever. And then, yeah, that's kind of it for like stuff. I should probably tell you about necromancy. Yeah, necromancy sounds like something I'd want to talk about. Necromancy is a power within this universe. Was Skullduggery necromancied? Or is his. Skullduggery doesn't know how he came back. Okay. Yeah. Um, Even at the end of this three. Even at the end of these three books now. It is implied that China knows how he came back, but she is keeping it secret. To, like, reveal at an opportune moment? I think because nobody wants to know. Okay. I think that Skull... So Skullduggery doesn't know how he came back. I think China does know. I think she might be involved in some way and that it would cause Skullduggery pain in some way to know. But, um, so... What age is China? Um, China is at least as old as Skullduggery. Okay, because I mixed her up with Tanith, and I was like, but she's only 80. No, so no. China might have been there. China was definitely there for um, the period of time that Skullduggery was alive. Okay. Um, I think that she is older than Skullduggery, actually. Okay. And she has a brother called uh, Mr. Bliss, and he is, like, super, super powerful, and people want him to become the new Grand Mage of Ireland. Yeah. I don't like his name. <laughs> Neither do I, but that's his name. He's Mr. Bliss. He's very tall. How does it work, actually? Um, Has Derek done his research around etymology? Like, was the word China in use 400 years ago? I don't, like, I don't know. Sorrow? Bliss? I guess. I guess they could be. Like, I want to do a bit of quick, quick research now. Off you go, and you can put it in the episode notes. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it right now. No! 
China um as an adjective mm-hmm. um is from the late 16th century so very new when China sorrows was around and that's implying if she's only slightly older than skullduggery cool i don't have one of the words that sorrow comes from uh is a dutch word called zorg amazing sorrow has been in use at least since the 1800s um google books doesn't go back further than that um origin of sorrow was before 900 so her name is sorrow and her brother's name is bliss yeah okay they really leaned into the aesthetic there <laughs> um okay i'm gonna tell you one more quick thing and then i'm gonna wrap up okay because um i know that you want to know about vampires yeah i forgot <laughs> well, i forgot there was vampires tell me about the vampires so the vampires in this world are real cool mm-hmm. because during the day they're a little bit like twilight vampires but without the sparkle they they've got superhuman strength they've superhuman agility um they can sneak up on anyone they make no sound when they're walking okay at all. but at night and during the day they are mortal they can be killed during the day okay right but at night they become vampires and by vampires I'm going to do this. They rip their skin off to reveal the vicious killer beast underneath. And then when the dawn comes, they like grow back their human self. Every night? Every night. That's a lot of energy. It is a lot of energy. And when they are like their nighttime vampires, they seek out blood at all costs. Can they contain themselves? No. Now, we do get a bad guy vampire who is a henchman called Dusk. Mm-hmm. Um, chosen name for a vampire. I like it. And he has like a serum of hemlock and wolfsbane, mm-hmm. which allows him to stay human at all times, as opposed to the beast version of vampire. And are the beasts like humanoid? They're humanoid. They kind of, the description of them kind of made me think of a werewolf, to be honest. Okay. But vampiric. Okay. So, like, and things that have been killed by them, are they, like, ripped to shreds? Yeah, they're ripped to shreds and drained um, because they do want to drink that blood. Okay, but it's not, like, a neat two pierce holes. It's not necessarily no. a neat two pierce holes. Um, and... If you you become a vampire by being bitten by a vampire, yeah. But it takes two full nights to become a vampire proper, and so you're called infected. Yeah. If so, if you get bitten by a vampire for two days, you're infected, and you can be cured from that. But then after two nights, you are a vampire full. Um, and dust um goes around making like little armies of infected people like he's like five infected around him the whole time and he just kills them before they become full vampires why uh because then they lose control of themselves but and can't take orders properly but why does he keep a little army so that he can send them after people because they they kind of have to listen to him they have they kind of have to listen to him and they're as powerful as vampires but they're still more in control of of themselves than their feral self so yeah for two whole days for two whole days so he like makes them as he needs them like there is a i don't know what the actual murder rates in ireland are 
But I feel if you had <laughs> like five people going missing every two days. Well, he's not. He's most at this point. He's doing it because he needs hench people. Okay. In order to like fulfill the plans that he is henching for. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't think he just does it on like an everyday basis. Like just a little weekend treat just for me. Just a little me. weekend treat. I don't think that's how it goes. Also, other notable creatures are the Hollow Man, which you're gonna hate because these are um animated skin bags that are full of gas and evil they can be killed really easily but the problem is that they they usually come in like massive numbers how well animated are they pretty well animated but the the thing to fight them with is fire because they explode but like skin is kind of papery so so they're here for a fight but like can the non-magicy people around tell there's something really fucked up about these people or yeah they're kind of like they're kind of like blown up animated corpses so like if skullduggery crawled inside one what is your obsession with giving skullduggery skin <laughs> i just think it might make his life easier it also seems like a perfect balance like he is a skeleton they are hollow i hate it you just slide one on into the other and it's perfect there's a sea hat oh what's her deal she lives in a lake She's very upset about it. That's false advertising. She is the only sea hag that lives in a lake anywhere in the world, and she is not happy about it. Why? Is the freshwater okay? Oh, okay. Um, she was moved there before before our time. Okay. And um, the bad guys get her allegiance by moving her into the Liffey so that she can return to the sea. But first she has to... Um, there's a fight on the Liffey Bridge. Yeah. There's actually a trade on Liffey Bridge which becomes a fight. Yeah. Because both sides have something the other side wants. Uh-huh. And so they're trading humans. Is one of them Valkyrie? Twelve year old? No, one of them is Guild, who is the very politician grand mage. Mm-hmm. And the other is Fletcher, who is the teen. Te- who is the teen teleport. Um and so they have to do a human swap and the sea witch they think it's all gone grand, it's all gone good, and they've like things are aren't perfect, but they're fighting, and they think they're gonna like keep the teleport, which they don't want. They they want to double cross each other, mm-hmm. um, and they think that everything's going fine. They're gonna not necessarily win the fight, but they're gonna get the person that they want and keep their teleport. And then the the sea hag comes out of the Liffey and like grabs uh Fletcher and disappears into the water and like brings him to wherever it is she somewhere else so that the baddies can take him is she like humanoid she is humanoid she's kind of mermaidy but more humanoid than fish okay um and very very bitter about yeah. the fact that she's been locked in a lake do you remember what lake glendalough i think glendalough that's two lakes she's doing well for herself she's doing well for herself um she's also pissed that skullduggery and valkyrie take a body from her so a person died and was put into the lake to hide the body yeah because it's um, the fucking wicklow mountains where yeah. all the bodies are brought yeah and um they need information from his corpse and he is able to give it because he's been in the lake and magic 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 um, his soul hasn't been restful because he wants to be on dry land. Yeah. He's like, I'll give you the information if you will bury me. And they're like, we'll bury you. Give us the information. Mm-hmm. He gives them the information. And then they have to like fight the sea hag in order to 
get the body mm-hmm. back from her, and then she's really pissed, and that's part of the reason why she agrees to go with the other people. Why does she want a body? It's hers. It was given to her. Okay. Cool. I mean, I guess if you've got little enough going on for you. Yeah, it's hers. Like, I, it's mine. She, I think she kind of keeps them animated to a point, so it's got okay. a bit of company, you know? Ah, uh, okay, okay. Creepy. It's, it's very creepy. A yeah. lot of things in these books, very creepy. At one point, a uh, ghost tries to, they go through this cave system where there's loads of magical beasts that the more magic you have, the faster they try to kill you. Um, and they end up in a replication of the house that is on top of it mm-hmm. because the person who used to own the house used to go exploring the caves, realized he was going to die, didn't want to die in the caves, so used his magic to Build a make an illusion of the house. And then they go into the house, find his ghost, and his ghost is like, yeah, I'll help you with the thing that you need. And then when they, they get the object that they need, they're leaving. And he's like, oh, no, 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 I'm going to keep the alive one. I'm going to keep Valkyrie. She's mine. And then he becomes like a poltergeist evil spirit and won't let her leave the house. And the house like works against her. And then she eventually does die. Yeah, there is some creepy stuff in this, eh? Yeah, it's very creepy. And all the while, if at any point she dies, will her parents even know? Will the reflection go away? Will the reflection just live her whole life for her? Yeah. Does the reflection live if she dies, though? Who knows? So what's it a reflection of? I, I don't know. Well, Stephanie hasn't died. Okay. Like, Valkyrie doesn't die within the books that I've read, so I don't know what happens to her reflection if that happens. But also, Valkyrie doesn't know what happens to her reflection. She's a lot of stress about Has this. she asked? No. Because that would admit that would mean admitting that she's scared in some yeah. way. So she gets even less like other girls. She becomes even less like other girls. Like, to a certain degree, the more she's in this world, the less she can go back to the regular normal world because she just knows too much and yeah. she's seen too much and honestly she needs a counsellor. Yeah. But- How do you explain? She needs She's a magic counselor. Yeah, that's a niche someone should be filling. I think that of that a lot. In every, like, <laughs> fantasy world, obviously all of the ca- protagonists are, like, traumatized. Like, when I'm watching Being Human, I'm like, some werewolves could, like, set themselves up as a counselor. And they do real well. Like, in Harry Potter, do wizards have counselors? Like, oh, wizards so need counselors. It's very upsetting to me. Oh, man, remember when we used to do life hacks? Life hack, don't bring a 12-year-old with you on all your, like, weird missions. Yeah. Life hack, go to therapy. Don't lose your skull in a poker game. Don't life hack. Life hack. Life hack. Yeah. Yeah. Loads of life hacks today. Um, so yeah, no, that wait, was... Wait, 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 where did he get the other skull from? Um, uh, a grey bird. Okay. How did I only just ask that? Um, because you can just find skulls around the place. They, people keep burying them. They do. <laughs> Yeah, but they're like, the ghosts exist within this world. How, did he ask the dude whose skull it was? I kind of get the impression that ghosts exist within like the context of magic. Okay, so if you're non-magic, you don't get a ghost. Not necessarily. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I think I'm good. Okay, then I guess what was the highlight, lowlight, and weird little sidelights um, of these three books? The sidelights? The highlights for me, actually, were 
how consistent the books were. Yeah. So stuff that happened, like stuff that happened in the first book comes back in the third book as like, they use, they use this thing called the scepter of the ancients in the first book in order to like kill the big bad of that book. And then they're like, and it, that breaks. Yeah. So in the third book, they're like, we have to fix it so that we can use it again. And I'm like, oh my God, I never even thought of that. Okay. Um, so I was like, I was reading the book and I was like, it'd be really cool if you had that scepter that killed gods, yeah. but that you broke two books ago, you dum-dums, short-term thinking. And then they have to go on this like semi-adventure in order to fix it. And I'm like, oh, I didn't think of fixing it. That's smart. Um, they There's this like magic device that if you sleep with it under your pillow for three days, um, it an imprint of you will like go onto it. And then you have like a recording of yourself after your death okay um and is it like fully sentient like a ghost it is okay um one so gordon the uncle gordon um they they find this in like the first book Mm -hmm. um in a vault and they use it just to get some information Mm -hmm. about um the the person in it is supposed to like be the keeper the archivist kind of yeah situation um, so they get some information out of him instead of having to go through all the books. Yeah. And then in the second book, it comes back in that Gordon, it turns out, has used one in order yeah. to like save his sentience. And he used it as a writing tool. Because whenever he was stuck in a book with a book plot, he used to go and talk to himself in order to like work it out and how they would go about like improving the book. Yeah, that's the kind of thing a writer will write. <laughs> yeah. And... um. It's like a year after Gordon's death that Echo Gordon discovers that Gordon has died. Um, and then he has this whole existential crisis where he forbids Valkyrie from telling anyone that he exists because he hasn't figured out if he is like Gordon 2.0, a continuation of Gordon, yeah. or if he's a whole new thing, or if he is just like, an echo and not a real thing at all and he's like literally just having this existential crisis in the corner while stephanie is like okay but in your research for books did you ever find out about this very important thing that i need in order to save the world does he have like a body or anything he is kind of like a hologram okay cool cool, cool. he's kind of like a hologram and in the second book he's just having this crisis and in the third book we, we meet him again and he's like, okay, I figured it out. I am a real person. I am a continuation of Gordon. I am Gordon. Yeah. And then Stephanie puts her hand through his head in order to get a book that he's like trying not to let her get. And he's just like, why would you do that? If I cannot stand fully as a solid person, am I truly a man? Oh my God. What is-? And she's just like, okay, I'm going to lead you to this crisis that you're clearly having. And I'm going to scoot out with the book that I needed. God, this sounds like so good. Um, I can see why your Limerick friends were so distressed that you hadn't read these as a teen. Yeah. Oh, I never said. Uh, This book was done as a request from my friends from the past. Oh, okay. Um, I will go on to the rest of your side lights and low lights, but I actually can't get over that this dude has this, like, hologram of himself to sort out writing things because literally on my lunch break today I went to find a quiet piece of grass and just recorded myself (laughs) telling the story of the book I'm trying to write because I'm really stuck at a certain aspect and then listened back to it twice and that was half of my lunch break amazing so did it help 
No! <laughs> Derek Landy, give me your secrets. Um, Side lights, low lights. My low lights. I don't really think I have any low lights. It's a little bit. It's a little bit simplistic as a book, but I wouldn't have that complaint if I was reading it as a as the actual target yeah. audience. Um, and I, in the same way that like the first Harry Potter book is a little bit simplistic, as they continue, they do get more complex. complex. And really, a large part of it is just there's so many characters to keep up with. I mentioned like six characters just here. That's not even all the characters I had written down to talk about, let alone all the characters there are. Mm. Um, and then, and are all the characters like well defined? Even yeah, they are really defined. And part of it is that everyone has their own thing yeah so even if they're like only semi-defined you can latch onto a thing that they have yeah and like a very definitive part of them yeah and then i think that my sidelight like the texan like the texan the assassin who doesn't have any eyes why i don't (laughs) like that Oh. Um, he doesn't have any eyes and he wears sunglasses so that nobody knows and it helps him to see when he's travelling through the dirt. Well it doesn't help um, him see, but I get your So point. part of part of adapt as a magic yeah. is that you gain something, but it also means that you have to give something up. What did China have to give up? I don't know. Um okay. I know that at one point um Stephanie before she like right at the very start when she first discovers like magic is a thing she has to fight someone who's broken into the house that she's staying in uh-huh. and that person has made themselves resistant to fire yeah and therefore um the fireballs that's called duggery is shooting at them doesn't don't hold at all um uh-huh. but then he dies by falling in water because he's made himself so resistant to fire that he is now completely vulnerable vulnerable to to water, to, to, to water. for like a balance Cool. yeah for balance so there is like a give and take there is rules that i haven't fully it feels like with each book that i read i was like i understand this world slightly more mm. and i feel like if i continue the series i'll be able to come back and be like okay now i understand it a bit more but also it's nice to have that bit of like leeway where mm. like i don't fully get this there is rules that dictate the world i don't need to know them all are you gonna continue the series do you think i think i am yeah. Um, I don't know if I will continue them on the pop bonus episodes. Bonus episodes. Ooh. Ooh, Patreon. Patrons. So follow us on Patreon to bully me into reading more of these books in a recorded fashion. Patreon. Patreon. Support us on Patreon so that Kira has to spend the entire rest of her life reading books as fast as Derek Landy can spit them out. Yay! Um, and on the topic of Patreon, if you do want to support us for serious, uh, we are forever ya pod on patreon so that was patreon.com forward slash forever ya pod and that is also our at on twitter on instagram on instagram we are forever ya podcast oh that is true we have to say the full word if you want to tell us anything that you think will take longer than 240 characters you can email us on four that's the number everyyoungadult at gmail.com that's four the number at Forever Young Adults. Sure, sure, we got that At one gmail. anyway. Uh, just, just rewind back. And yeah, you can skip back 30 <laughs> seconds and hear her say it twice. If you also want to keep up with what we're doing, what we're reading, what we have read, and what we will be reading, you can follow us on Goodreads where we're also Forever YA Pod. Yeah. Um, 
will be back in two weeks with our second October spooky read, which is... Um, Anna Dressed in Blood by Kendra Blake, an American-Korean author who, uh, yeah, wrote quite a spooky tale for us to Ooh, enjoy. Very spook. Yeah. Very October. There is a ghost. <laughs> See everybody in two weeks. Bye. Bye.